0: If you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3 of Philippians 4. And uh, if you weren't here for the announcements, I want to just reiterate next Sunday, because it's Easter, we won't be having college class. So if you are going home, we hope you enjoy the time with your family. We usually don't have college class in the morning because we figure a lot of you guys will be gone. Since you have Friday off, you want to go home with your families. And then by the evening, most of you will probably have gone to church with your family family back home. If you are in town on Sunday, the main services are all still meeting across the street at 9, 15, and 11, as well as over at Southwood at 9, 15, and 11. So if you happen to be in town, we'd love to have you join us across the street over there in the morning. All right, Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1. Just read verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this evening. To worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to you and the opportunity to hear from your word and to learn from it. Lord, we praise you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. We praise you that because of him we have eternal life, we have a relationship with you. And Father, we pray that our lives would now reflect the love. Of Jesus Christ in the way we interact with one another, the way we go about our business each day, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it, move in our minds, that you might remove any distractions. Father, I pray that you would help us to believe, remove doubt from our heart and fear from our heart, Father. And I pray uh, empower our hands and feet to do your service. We thank you and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, it wasn't uncommon at the junior high that I attended, to see fights happen outside the school, often after school. It was, in fact, pretty common. There were some aggressive kids that were there, and so uh, on an almost weekly basis, you would walk out of the school, and in some corner of the school where kids thought that the teachers or principals couldn't see, a fight would begin, and it would be uh, due to some fence that had happened earlier in the day. So you'd see two kids start going at it and then a crowd would gather around, usually a crowd that had heard throughout the day that a fight was going to happen. And so you'd walk out and you'd see this crowd and they'd be going fight, 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 right? And everybody would be gathered around these two kids who would be slugging it out and they would fight either until uh, the teacher or principal came and broke it up and sent them to detention or until one kid gave up and was too beaten or bloodied to go on anymore. And this happened pretty regularly. And so uh, throughout most of my junior high years, I kind of tried to lay low. I tried to stay under the radar. I did not want to upset the angry kids. And so uh, my goal was to just get through the day uh, without making anybody mad. Uh, But on a couple of occasions, I got sucked into these sort of conflicts, even though I was trying not to. Uh, One incident stands out in my mind very clearly, Uh, I was sitting in health class one day and talking with some friends. I guess there wasn't a whole lot going on in health class. And so uh, we were chatting and uh, there was this guy who sat in front of me. His name was Troy. I still remember his name. He turned around and he said, hey, I've got a question for you. And I said, yeah, shoot. He goes, see that guy over there? And he points to a guy. Sitting on the other side of the room, I'll just call him Bruiser, just for short. Uh, he points to a guy. That's, I think, that's his given name. Actually, it's either that or Spike. Um, he points to this kid on the other side of the room, and he says, "Do you think that you could beat him up? You think you could take him in a fight?" Now, the answer to that should have been an unequivocal no. Right? There was no way. Uh, this kid was about twice my height and weight. There was no way on God's green earth that I could ever have taken this kid in a fight. But for some reason, what came out of my mouth was, I don't know, maybe, you know. And, and uh, so, so Troy was one of these kids who was sort of an agitator, right? He would just kind of stir up conflict and then get out of the way. So he turns around to Bruiser over here and he goes, hey, guess what Matt just said? He said he could take you in a fight. And this kid turns around and he goes, I'm gonna kill you. And then turns back around <laughs> And I'm like, oh no, what just happened? Like, you know, and he, he's, he's threatening me. Well, that very night, there is a dance, you know, one of these junior high dances that are basically uh, for the purpose of feeling awkward or fighting, right? That's what they were for. So I go to this dance, and I'm walking around, and this kid is there, and no more than 10 minutes into this thing, Bruiser walks up to me, and he starts trying to come at me, right? He starts trying to uh, take me down. Now, the only thing that prevented him was he had a couple of friends that were trying to keep him from detention, so they grab him, they're pulling him back, and he's like, I heard what you said, how dare you say it, I'm going to get you, and I'm like, man, I don't know what I said, but I take it all back, right? You know, I'm just kind of trying to back up from this thing. And they push him away and he goes off and he's like, we'll talk later, you know? And so the whole night I'm sweating, I'm fearful, I'm worried. And finally, like the last, say, 10 or 15 minutes, he just walks up, he goes, Hey, we're cool, man. And he turns around and he walks away. And I just, I breathe this sigh of relief because I was like, I'm going to have kids one day. I'll have grandchildren. I'll have a life, right? I'm going to reach adulthood. I mean, it was just this huge sigh of relief. And I learned a couple of lessons from that moment in my life. One is this, uh, never let your mouth write a check. Your body can't cash, right? Never say that you think you can do something uh, unless you can back it up. Second thing is this, no matter how hard you try to lay low, Conflict has a way of finding you. That's true whether you're in junior high. That's true when you're an adult. That's true for you guys now. Some of you are pretty peaceable people, but I guarantee you, no matter how hard you try to lay low, conflict will find you. Some of you think, one day I'm going to get married. I'm going to marry the perfect person, and we will never fight. That won't happen. I guarantee you. Okay. Uh, the only marriages in which people never argue are usually marriages in which people no longer care. Some of you think, I'll just, I'll just lay low and I won't experience conflict in my church because I will find the perfect church. Reality is, if you get more than a few people together in a room, eventually you will experience conflict because we are different people with different personalities and desires and wishes, and sometimes those things rub against each other and we experience conflict. Conflict in and of itself does not mean that you are an ungodly person. Conflict in and of itself doesn't mean you're not following Jesus. What separates the person who's pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly from the person who's not in a conflict is the way you resolve it. And as you look throughout Scripture, you really see even guys like Jesus and Paul and the apostles, they find themselves engaged in conflict about significant issues. And they try not to get into conflict about small things, but they find themselves engaged in conflict. And as we walk through the scripture, we can see illustrations and principles for how to handle it well. Now, the reason I'm talking about all this is because our passage this morning, Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 3, gives us some principles for how to deal with conflict in a godly way. As Paul's been writing through the book of Philippians, if you guys have been following along with us, what we've seen is Paul is laying out for these believers an overarching principle, and that is this, that there is nothing more important in your life than pursuing Jesus Christ, than knowing him, and then proclaiming him to the world. And as he's walked through this book, we've seen hints of it a couple of times throughout, like chapter two. Uh, We've seen hints of the fact that Paul tells them that unresolved conflict, selfishness, disunity, these things will make it difficult if at times not impossible for you to pursue Jesus like you're supposed to. And so what separates the person who's able to pursue Jesus through his life from the one who allows conflict to distract and pull him away, what separates those people is how you handle it. Because you will experience conflict. I guarantee it. Every long-term relationship you have, every church you go to, you will experience conflict in some degree. So how are you going to deal with it? Uh, Some of you are in here this morning and you know that there are conflicts already in your life that need resolution. You may have come in here this morning and you are holding a grudge against somebody for something that they did. Maybe they did it this week. Maybe they did it 10, 15 years ago and you're holding a grudge. Uh, Others of you, maybe you need to go to somebody and ask forgiveness for something that you've done to them. Others of you, maybe you're mixed up in the middle of a conflict and you know what to do. Uh, My guess is that in this room this morning, there are several of you, if not most of you, that are are sitting in the midst of a conflict and wondering, how do I handle this from a godly perspective? That's what Paul deals with. As you look at Philippians 4, 1 through 3, what we see is there's two ladies. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. All right, not real common names anymore, but uh, they were common names probably back then. These two ladies can't get along. We don't know why. Uh, The book never tells us why they can't get along. But as we read verses 1 through 3, we see a couple of principles about conflict that Paul gives that are nestled within this passage that I think are going to help us as we seek to resolve conflict in our own lives. Alright, Paul's going to give us some motivation for resolving conflict, and then he's going to give us the means to do it. So let's walk through some of that this morning. All right, Philippians 4, 1 through 3. First, Paul gives us some motivations for conflict resolution. All right, Therefore, my beloved brethren whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. All right, two motivations he gives us. Okay, first of all, for the sake of church unity, we ought to pursue resolving conflicts swiftly, efficiently, for the sake of church unity. All right, it's interesting, as you look at verse two, he calls these two women out by name. Now, that's a pretty big deal, right, to know Uh, that Paul called these two ladies out by name. So for all of eternity, we remember Euodia and Syntyche as an illustration of two ladies who couldn't get along. That's not what you want to be. Now, Paul calls them out probably because, now remember, Paul is miles and miles away. What's happened? These two ladies have had conflict. Uh, The church has begun to divide over their conflict, and word of it has actually reached Paul. Somebody must have written Paul a letter at some point and said, "Uh, Paul, Euodia and Syntyche can't get along, and here's why. And some people are siding with Syntyche. Some people are siding with Euodia. They've got their Euodia and Syntyche signs, and they're on other sides of the church. And they're dancing around, and they can't get along. Right? It's beginning to split the church. The reason is because no conflict that you have is a completely private matter. Let me say that again. No conflict that you're going to have It's going to be a completely private matter because if I have a falling out with you and you have a falling out with me, that's going to affect not only my relationship with you, but my relationships with other people because other people are going to have opinions about the conflict. I'll give you just an illustration. My wife and I sometimes differ over which TV shows to watch, which ones ought to be watched and ought not to be watched. Recently, she has gotten into a television show called Downton Abbey. Some of you have watched this show. Okay, see? Did you notice which gender it was that gasped? All right? Now, one evening, I may or may not have put something on Facebook about uh, how I felt that this particular show was too feminine for me, and uh, that was probably a mistake, because um, it generated this firestorm of controversy among my Facebook friends. There apparently are a few men who watched the show uh, that took offense at the fact that I called it a ladies' show, and uh, then there were ladies that took offense at the fact that I called it a soap opera. And so uh, it created this sort of division. Now what happened was this, A, a, a disagreement between my wife and me turned into what? A huge firestorm in a public setting. All right, and I learned a lesson. Uh, if there's a conflict, try not to make it public. And we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, now I'm teasing because it wasn't a real serious conflict and she was laughing at it. But the reality is if I had a serious conflict with you and you with me, that has the potential to spread out and cause disunity in the church. And that's what's going on here in this situation. If you've ever been in a group of friends and maybe two of your friends start dating one another, that's exciting. But it's also nerve-wracking, right? Because you know what might happen. They might break up. And then you find yourself in this awkward situation, right? Who do I side with? What do I do? The whole group doesn't know, should I invite him? Should I invite her? What should I do? Where should we go? Uh, She doesn't like Chewies, but he doesn't like chilies. We can't go to either of those places ever again, right? (laughs) It creates this sense of tension. That's what's happening in the Philippian church. You've got two ladies, for whatever reason, they can't get along and it's beginning to spread. And so Paul seems to be saying, for the sake of the unity of the church, fix it. Get it resolved. Uh, Over the years, as a college pastor here, I've uh, worked with and served different organizations on campus And I've seen at times some of those organizations, and it happens in churches as well, there will be a conflict between two parties. Years ago, uh, with one organization that I was working with and involved with, there were two people that got into a disagreement about some facts, you know, that had happened. One person felt they were being unfairly treated by the leadership of the organization. Another person uh, felt that things were that they ought to accept the way things were, and they began to argue, and that argument began to spread. And so, by the time they began to try to work it out, there were about a hundred people sitting in a room, all angry and yelling at each other, and nobody really knew exactly what had happened in the first place. And that kind of thing can tear an organization or a church apart. And so Paul says, and for the sake of church unity, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we reflect the love of Jesus Christ, then fix it. Get it resolved. And that leads to the second motivation, that without church unity, there is no eternal impact. If the church is ripped apart and cannot get along, then we cannot focus on the mission that God has called us to in Jesus Christ, that Paul has been laying out all the way through the book of Philippians, and that is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sufferings being conformed to his death in order that somehow we might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Remember, he's just talked about that in chapter 3. The idea is we know him, and then from that base of knowing him, we share him with the world. Well, the problem is if we can't get along, if I hate you and you hate me, we're not going to partner in the gospel. I've heard sad stories of, uh, for example, missionaries on teams in a field that they have a small disagreement that blossoms into a major one, and all of a sudden the whole team is sidetracked from what God has called them to do. And so Paul, verse 1, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm In the Lord, my beloved. That's not disconnected from verse 2. The idea is this the way that you're going to stand firm in the Lord is by resolving this conflict and seeking unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot, you cannot have the impact that the church, that God wants the church to have if you can't get along. I have three kids, and two of them are just above. Uh, One of them is a toddler, one of them is just above toddler age. Uh, My daughter is four years old, and I've watched over the years, and one of the patterns I've observed with toddlers and then three-year-olds and maybe even four-year-olds a little bit, although they're growing out of it, but uh, they cannot cooperate. Okay. Uh, I don't mean that they won't it seems that they cannot um, that they are incapable if you put a group of three-year-olds in a room and you give them a gigantic box of Legos and you say build the tallest tower you can build you will come back in an hour two hours three hours and nothing will be built I can guarantee it there will be Legos everywhere they will get the Legos out now there may be two or three Legos stuck together but there will not be anything you know major right there won't be some sort of palace or anything like that and it's not probably because they're technically incapable. It's because I guarantee as soon as you walk out of the room, what's going to happen? Those toddlers will fight over who gets the blue ones or who gets the yellow ones, right? over whose it was first. To a toddler, every Lego in the box is mine. right? It's mine. And they will not build anything. Now what's crazy is that we can laugh at that, but the truth is we're like that sometimes as adults, aren't we? We fight over our rights and our territory and our space. I can remember years ago, I attended a church that, man, it was positioned in a great part of town and it was near where there were thousands of university students, literally right across the street was a major university, thousands of students around. And yet this church did not reach that campus because they were engaged in these internal conflicts about what the worship music ought to be like and which Sunday school class got to use which room. And the staff was engaged in conflicts with one another. And it broke my heart. Because when we can't get along, we cannot engage in the mission God has called us to. So Paul says, for that reason, fix it. Pursue unity in the body of Christ. If you're here this morning and you know that there's a conflict that you need to resolve with a brother or sister in Christ, my exhortation to you is, do it today. For the sake of the unity of the church and the effectiveness of God's kingdom work through us. All right, so Paul says, here's your motivation. Church unity, eternal impact. Well, how do we do it then? Okay, I know I need to do it. How do I go about resolving conflict? Well, he's going to give us some means as well in this same passage. Right? The first one is this. Practice humility. I think you see in verse 2, this is interesting. He says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, notice what's not here. Paul doesn't say, Uodia, you're kind of wrong. And Syntiki, yeah, you're pretty much right. All right, so Uodia, do what Syntiki likes. Or Syntiki do what Uodia likes. He doesn't say, this group is right, this group is wrong. Paul doesn't actually take sides. Isn't that interesting? Don't you think if there was a major conflict, you'd want someone to come in and be like, okay, here's what you're doing wrong, and you're doing wrong, and you're doing wrong. You've got things right. Uh, This person's wrong. This person's right. Just everybody go with this person. No, what's interesting is Paul says, agree. Says, Uodi and Sintiki, just agree, find harmony in the Lord. The reason I think that's interesting is because he doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, you need to make sure that they understand your point of view. You need to make sure that you're not misunderstood. He just says, get along. And this goes back, I think, this principle goes back to chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where Paul walks through the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh, who's absolutely perfect, is persecuted and slandered and abused and ultimately killed by people he made. And what does he do? He humbles himself. And then he humbles himself to die on a cross on our behalf. Paul says you want to resolve conflict that begins with an attitude of saying, you know, it ultimately may not matter that much how wrong I am or how right I am. And I'm not saying that truth is relative. What I'm saying is that there ultimately comes a time to say, you know what, I'm going to set aside the need to be right for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ especially if this isn't an issue of doctrinal orthodoxy, right? If we're not talking about whether someone believes in the deity of Christ. Most of our arguments in the church are not about those sort of things, right? They're about uh, what kinds of songs to wear, what kinds of clothes we should, uh, what kinds of songs to wear, (laughs) what kinds of songs to sing or clothes to wear. We could sing clothes, I guess, too, all right? Who gets what space where the money should be allocated? Paul says there may come a time where you say, you know what? We're just going to have to agree to get along. I don't know if you've ever met a person that just simply cannot admit fault ever. Some of you have family members like that, right? Some of you are like, that's my brother, right? Cannot ever admit fault. You are always 100% wrong, and they are always 100% right. right? If any of you ever saw the old show Happy Days, there was this character Fonzie that was, he was just cool. He always wore a leather jacket, white t-shirt. He was 50s cool And there were several episodes on which Fonzie could not admit that he was wrong. He couldn't say the words. He would go, I was, what, 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 right? And he could not say, I was wrong. It's funny on a sitcom. It's not funny in real life, right? Sometimes you may be 90% right and they may be 90% wrong. And you may have to humble yourself and say, I'm sorry for the part that I did wrong. And imitate the humility of Jesus Christ. Practice humility. It's the first step to resolving conflict, is to recognize that you and I are, inf- are fallible. That we can make mistakes. And it takes two to tango. There's right? probably enough blame to go around. Certainly in this situation there was, by the time the conflict had spread this far. And that leads to the second thing. Means the conflict resolution, confidentiality. Don't spread it. Again, I've mentioned by the time this has gotten to Paul, it's gotten out beyond these two ladies, probably because one of them went to her friends and she said, can you believe what Uodia did, what she said to me? And Sintiki said, listen, we just need to pray for Uodia because she's a jerk, right? And they begin to spread the conflict. It wouldn't have gotten this bad if they had dealt with it individually before they went and spread it to all their friends. By this point, the whole church knows about it. You and I know about it 2,000 years later because they spread it and made it worse. Proverbs twenty nineteen: a gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. Problem is this, that once the gossip has spread and the damage has been done, it's almost impossible to undo it. All right, uh, earlier this week, uh, we were at a staff meeting and uh, one of our co-workers at the staff meeting brought a bunch of cookies. Actually, uh, there were two types of cookies at the meeting, and uh, we all love cookies, right? So we all reached in, and we grabbed a cookie, and one of my co-workers, Trey, I'll just use his name. Trey works over at the Southwood campus, and he teaches over there. Trey may have grabbed more than one cookie, okay? Uh, Trey grabbed uh, anywhere between two and five cookies. I'm not sure how many he grabbed, but anyway, we were razzing him about this. We're like, dude, you know, the cookies are for everybody, right? They're not just Trey's. They don't just have Trey's name on it. you know. So we're giving him a hard time as we're eating these cookies. Now imagine that I got really angry about that, right? I began to stew about it. I'm like, every time they bring cookies, he eats them all, right? Now that, that's funny, but not too far-fetched. I actually had a roommate that would do that. Every time I would buy like chips, he would eat them all. And so it, it, what if that happened? And then I, I were to say, I don't know, tell you guys. It's an illustration uh, that something like that happened. And I'm angry at him. And I go to my friends and I'm like, can you believe Trey is this greedy, gluttonous pig who eats all the cookies? Right? Now, I go do that. Let's say I go do that. But the next day in my devotional time, I'm praying about it. And, and I hear the Lord say, you know, you really need to forgive Trey. And so I'm like, all right, I let it go. I go to Trey. I'm like, okay here's a box of cookies, you can have all you want, I forgive you, you know, and we move on. Now what's happened? I have forgiven him, Uh, we have reconciled, but who hasn't had a chance to reconcile with Trey? All the other people I told, right? So I've done damage now to his reputation that really can't be undone, can it? Even after the conflict has been reconciled. It's interesting, as a dad, one of my jobs as a dad of little kids is I am the Fix it guy, right? My kids will bring me things that they have broken or crushed or tried to flush down the toilet or fed to the dog, and they will say, Please fix it. And I uh, often will have a conversation about why it needs to be fixed in the first place, right? This is not dog food or whatever. And often I can fix it, but sometimes they hand me things that simply cannot be fixed, right? If you're sitting at the breakfast table or the lunch table and one of them has crackers and they go, and they smash a cracker, I've had them hand it to me and go, Fix it, right? Sorry, buddy, right? The cracker cannot be healed, right? It cannot be fixed. Occasionally, one of my kids, when they were toddlers, they would grab a box of Kleenex and uh, just pull all of them out, you know, just one by one. So you'd come and there'd be like a whole big mess of Kleenex everywhere. Now, you can put them back in the box, technically, but you will never get them the way they were. Uh, before they were pulled out, right? They will never be flat. I'm not going to spend my whole day folding Kleenex, right? <laughs> they will never be the way that they once were. There has been irreversible damage done. That's an illustration of what happens in conflict if we share it with everybody around. You will do irreversible damage. Can't put it back, and it makes the conflict worse because now I not only have to deal with the original offense, but I also have to deal with the fact that it's spread. And I'm hurt because other people know about it, and I'm embarrassed. So keep it confidential. Thirdly, mediation. Verse 3, he says, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. All right, we don't know who the true companion is. Some people, in Greek, the word is Syzygus and some people think this is actually a person whose name is Syzygous. It seems more likely that Paul is addressing somebody, we don't know who, but everybody back then knew who it would be. And he says, hey, friend, help these ladies to get along. There's somebody that needs to step in and mediate. There's an appropriate time to say, you know what, I cannot figure this conflict out. I need help. right, for married couples, this is sometimes what marriage counseling can do. When you're real close to a conflict, sometimes it's just baffling. You can't understand what's going on. Why are they upset? What have I done? I'm upset, but he or she doesn't understand why I'm upset. And we can't find a resolution to it. And there are times you may need to seek out help even. You may need to go to a pastor. You may need to go to a friend a trusted wise friend, or even to a parent or an adult, and say, I need help to figure this out. I mentioned a while back that campus organization that exploded into this sort of frenzy of disunity. But in the midst of that, one of the best things they did is they called a few pastors here in town, and they said, we need help to pull this thing back together. Don't imagine that you can always solve a problem on your own. Just a, a day or two ago, I was at home. My wife uh, was out of town. I was at home with the kids, and I, my son. I've mentioned this, I think, before. He's two and a, a little over two. He's just at that stage where he can talk, but often you can't quite understand what it is he's trying to say. He's got a number of words, but they all sound very similar, like ba and ha and ta. But and, you know all these things, and. So you're trying to understand, and he was talking to me, and he said something that sounded like, uh, tell me, tell about, Todd Ta. train, right? And and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. What is that? Tell you what? You know, and I'm trying to figure it out, and he's getting more and more frustrated uh, because clearly he's saying something in English, and I don't understand, you know? And so he's getting angry, like, Dad... We share a common language here. And and I'm going, we don't. And finally, here's what happened. I couldn't figure it out. He's getting frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. He's starting to cry. Uh, I'm almost, okay. And so so we're trying to figure this out. And so finally, I walk into the kitchen. And I I walked up to my seven-year-old daughter. And I say, Samuel, tell Elizabeth what you just said to me. And he says it again. And she goes, he wants you to tell him a story about Thomas the train. And then she goes back to coloring, right? So... I was like, all right, we got it, right? Walked in the other room. Conflict avoided. Okay? I needed mediation, didn't I? <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. Right? Sometimes in the midst of a conflict, that's what you need. And there's no shame in saying, look, I need help. It may be that the other person involved in the conflict is not willing to go get help with you. And so in that case, it may be that you need to go to a confidential, trustworthy friend in an objective way can look at the conflict and say, here's what I think you need to do. Often the answer may be, you need to go to that person and apologize. The answer may be, you need to think about it, wait a bit, and pray. And Maybe you need to go to that person and share how they've hurt you. But sometimes you may need help. All right? and that's why Paul asked this guy, help these two ladies. Their their names are written in the book of life. They are fellow workers in the gospel. I love that. Paul says, look, these ladies have potential to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. You just got to help them get along. And then fourthly and lastly, uh, extend forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Like I said, he's telling them, live in harmony in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. Jesus Christ died for our sins. When we didn't deserve it. We sinned against him. Against an infinite God. And we deserved an infinite punishment. God's only son died for us and rose again. So we could have life. Paul says in light of that. If you believe in Jesus Christ. And you know that you're his. In light of that. Extend forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. All right, what does forgiveness mean? It means this, it means you let it go. Okay, forgiveness doesn't necessarily always mean that you're able to literally forget it. All right, you may be struggling to deal with that offense forever. What forgiveness means is this, that you release the other person from any obligation to you. You don't insist upon taking revenge. You don't insist upon them paying you back. You may even have to say, you know what? I'm never going to get an apology, but I'm going to let it go. And extend forgiveness. Because Jesus Christ forgave you. Have you apologized for every sin you've ever committed against God? Absolutely not. Because you don't even know what they all are. But Jesus has forgiven you of all of them. And now he calls you and me to reflect his forgiveness and extend and receive forgiveness. I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. There are offenses that people committed against me when I was 12 that I still have to decide to let go. I can remember my brother had a couple of friends that were bullies. And uh, because I was the younger brother, they would pick on me. And so I distinctly, I still remember to this day standing with a group of other kids about that same age and one of those kids pointing at me and laughing and telling me how ugly I looked that day in front of everybody. And I still remember it. Now what's interesting about that is I can remember the kid's name. I can remember where we were standing. I can remember what I was wearing. I can remember his face. And to this day, if I see the guy on Facebook, I have to struggle to not wish ill for him. To not be like, I want you to die lonely and poor right? Okay? Now, again, my guess is that many of you, if not all of you, have something similar. That if I began to talk to you and hear your story, you would say, yeah, somebody did this to me at school. Somebody said this to me. Last month, boyfriend or girlfriend did or said this. My parents, or other family members did or said this, and you struggle day by day by day to let it go. And What Paul says is this. Forgiveness means you release that to God. You let him judge it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are able to trust that person fully again, but it does mean you let go of the need to take revenge. You let go of the need to wish them harm, and you entrust that to God and you forgive. For the sake of the unity of the body of Christ and for the sake of God's kingdom. And then, like we read in Philippians 3, you get back to focusing your eyes on Jesus Christ and you chase after him. And you let God deal with those offenses others have committed against you. Really quickly as we close, I really do want each of us to ask, is there a conflict going on right now in your life that needs resolution? And what is the next step you need to do? It may be for you that you're in a place where you're not fully familiar with what Jesus has done to provide reconciliation between you and God. And if that's the case, like I shared earlier, the step for you may be you need to first accept the forgiveness Jesus has offered to you because that's the base from which you're able to forgive. We don't forgive because we want to be nice people. We don't forgive because it's good for our soul. We forgive because we're reflecting what Jesus has done. And it can only be empowered by the spirit within us. So maybe you're here and you need to say for the first time, I accept that God has forgiven my sins because of what Jesus has done. And you'll know that you have eternal life. And then if you've done that, really ask yourself this morning, is there a conflict in my life that needs resolution? And how do I need to go about resolving that today? Do I need to approach somebody and say, you know, I'm sorry for what I said, what I did that hurt you. Do you need to approach somebody and say, you said or did something that hurt me. I forgive you in Jesus Christ, but we need to talk this through. What conflict do you need to resolve for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ and God's kingdom? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this time and for your word. Father, we confess that often we are unforgiving and we insist upon revenge, or at least we wish it upon people. Lord, forgive us. Remind us of all we've been forgiven in Jesus Christ and then let us extend that forgiveness to others. Even if it's a day-to-day process of extending forgiveness, I pray through the power of your spirit, allow us to do that. Let us seek help where we need help. Father, we love you. and We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.